Welcome to Spinning Backclick, where each week here at MMA Junkie, we take a spin through the biggest stories in MMA. On today's episode, UFC 300, we have ourselves a main event. Ilya Teporia is the new UFC featherweight champion, and PFL champs will clash with Bellator champs this weekend. Hello, everyone. Gorgeous George here on the con, and look at the distinguished panel we have for you today. SBC creator goes from MMA Junkie Radio. He's in Las Vegas. Matt Wells from the editorial side. He drops in. He's repping Dallas, Texas. And after a week of covering UFC 298 by going back to Cali, Cali, Cali. Did you really think Mike Bond wouldn't join us from Canada? I don't think so. Copies <laughs> on the ones and twos. <laughs> but before we get started, if you would kindly hit that like button right now, I'd greatly appreciate it. Hey, I just gave you some LL Cool J. Hit the like, please. Come on. All right. Uh, UFC 300 has a main event, guys. Alex Fajeda will defend his light heavyweight title versus Jamal Hill. After weeks, months of speculation, rumors, predictions, I got to admit, I did not see this one coming. And on paper, the fight is banging. I mean, who doesn't like themselves some Fajeda versus Hill, right? But this is UFC 300. The expectations were high. Is this the main event that put the UFC over the top? Put UFC 300 over the top, I should say. Let's unpack it. Are you satisfied, guys? Yay or nay? Mike Bond, hit it. Like, I don't want to be too harsh here. I know the UFC tried to explore a lot of avenues to find a main event for this card. They made a lot of calls, uh, put a lot of money on the table to a lot of different people. And I think when this came in, I mean, the one thing that I guess was upside was like, it was a surprise. I don't think anyone really thought this fight was going to be on this card. Uh, maybe they thought Alex Pereira would be on this card against someone else in Israel Adesanya or something like that. Uh, but we just didn't think Jamal Hill was going to be healthy enough. I mean, this seems like a pretty outrageous turnaround for him after rupturing his Achilles in August. So for him to come in here, I mean, those were the biggest question marks. So we didn't really see that coming. And then you hear from these guys. Uh, we both heard them do like small bits of media since this. Jamal Hill said he didn't get the call for it until a day before it was announced on the night of UFC 298. And Alex Pereira said they basically were trying to get him to fight at UFC 301 on May 4th and decided to move this fight up to 300. So this was plan, I don't know, D, E, F. I don't even know where it falls down. They really had to scramble to make this. It's a good fight on paper, but this is one that you would just think would be kind of a normal pay-per-view headliner, right? The UFC 301 main event. It doesn't really feel like a, a mega fight, something out of the norm, extremely unique. This is the right next fight to make at light heavyweight. And in that sense, um, you know, it's a good fight and a good main event. But yeah, on its own, it doesn't feel like a special UFC 300 headliner. But you look at the card as a whole, like I am satisfied. It's a, a great fight card. I mean, I think you have now like 12 current or former UFC champions fighting at UFC 300. So it's deep, it's good, but they just didn't get that uh, big main event, something that's going to blow your socks off like Dana White was kind of teasing for a while there. In that sense, it's going to be a letdown. I think anything would have been a bit of a letdown. I mean, I know they really wanted Israel Adesanya and Drikas Duplessis. They put a ton of money out to both those guys. Israel Adesanya was ready from everything I heard, and it kind of fell apart on Drikas' side because he was still a little banged up. I think that would have been satisfactory as well. But, yeah, we weren't getting Conor McGregor. We weren't getting John Jones. We weren't getting a, you know, a George St. Pierre or Habib comeback or anything like that. So given who was available, what they could do, this was, I guess, best case. But, yeah, this was a scramble, and it's just cr crazy to kind of think about because – 
Dana White was first asked about UFC 300 like 14, 15 months ago. And the fact that it came this close down to the wire for them to figure out their main event is just kind of wild. But that's that's what happens when you're the UFC and you kind of live month to month off trying to build these cards and just throwing in whoever makes sense timing wise. Um, so it is what it is now. Mike, I know your socks weren't blown off, but is it more because it was like an option EDG? Who knows what? Or is it more on the side of maybe Hill just it feels like he's being rushed? And maybe we know when it looked like when they went to Jones, he said, no, I'm not ready. You know what I mean? Like you got to appreciate someone when they're not ready versus I don't know it's, if it's taking the money or succumbing to the pressure and, and going before they may be ready. What, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's something I guess Jamal would have to answer where he is physically at this point. Um, if you're him, right, like they said, the moment he relinquished the title, his next fight, he was going to get the pay-per-view points and he was going to be treated as a champion coming in. And even if he's got to push it a little bit for him to decline this opportunity to get a cut of the pay-per-view for UFC 300, who knows what like he thinks about the long-term stability of that leg and fighting off that Achilles. And if he's going in there being like, this yeah. is my big payday, uh, I got to take this opportunity, then you know, more power to him. I understand. I just hope he's not going in there a significantly lesser version of himself and rushing it too much because how, you know, unfortunate would it be if we get to this UFC 300 main event and it ends prematurely because he re-injures himself or something happens like that. And obviously, God forbid, he can't even make it to the fight and something pops up in camp. So this definitely felt like a risky scenario. It seems like everyone involved is kind of pushing it. The only person I'm not really surprised by being in the spot is Alex Prayer because we know that dude will fight anyone anywhere and he's already saying he wants to make a, a 21 day turnaround and fight in brazil at ufc 301 too so we know this guy's a fighter you know to his deepest core and these type of thing opportunity mm -hmm. shorter nose fights aren't a surprise to him so his placement there i'm not surprised in but jamal hill i'm definitely a little concerned until you know he gives us some reassurance otherwise all right matt wells good to have you back after a few weeks Let's hear your thoughts, man. Did it satisfy you when you when when uh, you heard it, and we all felt like we got hit from left field? What what was your initial reaction? Yeah, I mean, if it, to kind of break the fourth wall here, you know, on the back end here at Junkie, like we try to prepare for these things, right? And I'll say this one was a curveball for us, but um, like if you were going to give me a slow reveal of the main event, right? Like if the announcement was a slow reveal, if you say UFC three hundred main event, Alex Pereira versus and then you know do you slow drum roll you're sitting there say say is he say is he say is he say is he jamal hill and then the price is right you know loser sound plays it's like it, it's, <laughs> it's it's a solid fight like mike said it's a great main event for any other pay-per-view but for ufc 300 given the way that the promotion tried to sell it the way dana tried to sell it like it's going to be this big blockbuster main event it's going to you know blow the doors off of everything didn't end up being that. I mean, it's a solid fight. Don't get me wrong. I think Jamal Hill is going to bring, with a caveat, if he's healthy, if he's fully healthy, he's going to bring a hell of a fight for Alex Pereira. Um, it's a fantastic fight on paper, but, you know, I don't think it's that that big blockbuster fight that everybody was looking for. And, unfortunately, that's going to sour some fans away because the way Dana tried to sell this thing is that this is going to be, like, the biggest card ever in the history of the UFC. I don't think we, we've gotten that. But what we do have is a fantastic main event, a fantastic card top to bottom. It's it's probably going to be one of the best lineups that we see this entire year. But because of the way that they tried to sell it to us as it's going to be this big blockbuster thing, you know, Connor, 
we didn't get Connor. We didn't get, you know, any of these big superstars. Like, it's, it's going to sour some people away, unfortunately. But in reality, what we have is a fantastic card top to bottom. So we shouldn't really be complaining about anything. Like I said, it's going to be one of the best fight cards of the entire year. I do have a question about, you know, why did they choose Alex on this card when you've got the Brazil event right afterwards? You know, like Mike mentioned, he said he's willing to turn around. So if he can go out there and spark Jamal Hill, hey, maybe we'll see him main event that card too. But top to bottom, man, I think it's a fantastic card. Just not that that big cherry on top that a lot of people were really expecting for a milestone event like UFC 300. Matt, who's more wrong in the end? The UFC for hyping it up so much that we are left with this feeling, you know, a little deflated, or the fans for holding the UFC to that and just not appreciating that it's a pretty solid card and that main event, man, I just don't see how it's not going to deliver. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's a fantastic card, but I mean, you got to kind of place the blame on both, I think, right? For Dana for saying, like, we're going to give you this, yeah. like, for teasing it for months and months and months. Like, it's going to be this huge fight. It's going to be this huge fight. What we end up getting is a fantastic fight. It's just not that big blockbuster type of yeah. fight, right? If it was if it was Alex versus Izzy, I think that would fit that bill more because Izzy's going up to light heavyweight. They have this incredible history between each other, wins and losses on both sides. That would fit that bill more. But now we kind of get like, oh, Jamal Hill's coming back from injury. What is he going to look like? They're like, there's more questions there, I think, than more excitement for that for that matchup. And Hill sparks fools, you know what he I mean? Does. So, like, yeah. we got to give him his due. We, it's almost like we do appreciate that he's coming back. It'll be about nine months, which if you follow other sports, that's about the right time. Usually nine months to a year, somewhere in there. But this is also a different other sport. You're not like a DB trying to cover, you know, uh, some of these awesome wide receivers that run four threes. So, I don't know. All right, Gus, how about you, man? What was your reaction you know, we're doing the watch along, and I, I remember a little bit of it. And now that it's mm-hmm. kind of sat, you know, for the last 36 hours, what are your thoughts? Well, to kind of answer the question that you posed to Matt, George, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it to you this way. If I promised you steak and you sat there waiting for a steak all day and I showed up with a really good hamburger, you're going to have a smile on your face. But it ain't going to be that same feeling, right, that you were expecting that steak. That's kind of what happened here. Look, this is a great fight. There's no doubt about that, all right? Um, Was it what we were expecting? No. I was one of those few people that kind of said, just leave it as it is. You know, like, it's not that they didn't try. You have to applaud the UFC. They did everything they could possibly do to make the fans happy, to make everyone happy. It just didn't work out. So now you get stuck in this position where you can still deliver things, but at that point, are we maybe weakening future cards? You know, like, what are we going to say? We're all going to have a great night, UFC 300. But what are we going to do when 301 comes around? 302. I say spread the love, man. I think at, at that point, just look, the chips weren't there. You kind of move on. What scares me moving forward here with this matchup, I, I still think it's going to be a good matchup. But at the end of the day, my job here is to cover the sport. I'm also a fan, too. But really what I want is I want to know who the best is. And I want to make sure that that question can be answered correctly, because are we going to get 100% Jamal Hill? I don't know. We interviewed Brian Butler about a month ago, right, George? And he said he was expecting International Fight Week. That was kind of the target date for Jamal Hill to come back. This is a very serious injury, right? Now, we all know probably why he's doing this. Pay-per-view cut, a lot of money. 
And I get that. But I want a true representation of both these fighters at their best. That's what makes me a fan. Okay. I, I, trust me, I love these fights where it's just rock'em, sock'em robots. I get that too. But at the end of the day, I want to know who's best. And I want to know that both guys involved in that main event are going to be at 100%. I don't think Jamal Hill's an idiot. Uh, but I do think that sometimes, you know, maybe you feel like a 90% you could still get the job done. And that, that's okay. I get that, but that could be a dangerous game to play. I mean, look at what Alexander Volkanovsky's kind of going through right now, right? I'm sure he might have a few regrets taking that fight against that second fight against Islam Makashev. So I don't know, man. I just want the best two fighters on a night and have them perform and tell us who the best is. And I don't know that we're going to get that here. So I think uh, if it were my decision, I think I would have just said, look, we tried. This is what we got. It's still a phenomenal card and maybe left a little bit for some of them other cards coming up. I think goes that DDP Izzy would have been the only one that ticked all the boxes because if you did Probably. Jones and Miocic, oh, they're past their prime. If you did Connor and Chandler at 185, you know, why them? Why Connor? I mean, I hear it all the time when we're talking about Connor. His ship sailed, you know, and uh, this matchup. Are they rushing Hill too soon? Um, I, I don't know. I'd say the announcement was a letdown. But I think the fight is outstanding, and I think as we get closer, we're going to just realize it. But I think it's more about the announcement, right? Yeah, I and think I a mean, little bit. Listen, when Dana said he was going to announce it at the post-fight presser, we we were all kind of like preparing for the worst, right? Because it, it wasn't like going to be a surprise announcement during the broadcast. It was like, hey, I'm going to announce it, you know, at this thing. But then he ended up just doing it on Instagram, which is please stop doing that actually doing it in an official capacity would be better in my yeah, opinion. No, it was kind of it was kind of weird right like you're already yeah. there why not just do it 10 minutes before like to end the broadcast on pay-per-view or something or at the press conference mm -hmm. I, I did think that was a bizarre choice by them it does kind of say a lot though right I, to me what that yeah. says is i don't want the fans to 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 boo to give a bad reaction you know that's what that's what it means but you also have Joe Rogan there to talk it up, John R Anik to talk it up. I don't know. I feel like anytime you can deliver it on a broadcast, mm -hmm. it's golden. And for them to do it not at the press conference, but yet on Instagram, it just almost seemed like even he wasn't fired up about it. It's no. weird. Yeah. All right. In the chat, uh, I'll answer this because he was with us for, ma for many years, but John Ro Morgan is no longer with MMA Junkie, so that's why he's not hosting. He did an excellent job here as the host of spinning back click but he has moved on still our bud though he was there with mike press uh on press row at ufc 298 here's one for you mike from josh wallace how do you all handle dana's blunt replies to y'all's questions um i think that's a good question how do you I mean, has he ever done that to you or or in the last in the last run of questions what's the feeling there amongst all the reporters I mean, I think a lot of people are used to it at this point. You kind of see how Dana rolls, especially like these days. He kind of he'll come in and he'll answer the questions a little more sincerely from the people he recognizes. But once it gets like 10, 15 minutes into those 30 minute post fight scrums, he kind of starts playing with the media a little bit more, firing back, doing some poking. We saw, you know, he had something with Matt Wells not that long ago and uh, Austin, I mm, believe. So right. it just depends like kind of on his mood, uh, how he's taken the questions, how they're set up. Uh, he has this thing now where he kind of likes to pick one word that's said within a question and really like tug on that string and use it to either like manipulate your question to him or his answer. But 
I mean, Dana's Dana at this point. Like, he's going to go out there. And you saw the exchange he had with uh, our editor, Simon Simono, in regard to Conor McGregor at that press conference. And um, he's going to answer the questions the way he wants to, really, no matter how you frame them or however it may be, however you want to rebuff them or ask follow-ups and stuff. So it can be tricky. I mean, people like to criticize, but when you're sitting in that room, there's a lot of people in there. You know, Dana's looking you right in the eye and you know has that demeanor that he has sometimes it's, it's always not as easy as it looks but i think you know people do the best job they can so it's not always perfect we can always do better and try to pry more out of him but um yeah i guess that's kind of it yeah you guys should check out greg popovich and the way he dismisses questions the coach with the san antonio spurs uh dana still got a way to go to get to that guy mo beck in the chat says main and co-main for 300 are pretty underwhelming sort of weird Will be great, punk card, but lacking the stakes and drama we were all hoping for. I think that's pretty finely worded there. Uh, it's a little underwhelming because of what we were expecting, but it doesn't mean the fights are going to suck. Uh, Anthony Walker says they definitely put that one together in the Honda Center bathroom before the main card started. Signed the contract against the stall door. That's kind of the feeling, yes, of... Uh, of, of how we took it mo fresh says i like i'd like transparency someone please explain why bolal isn't getting his title shot it's not a topic here but i think it's valid guys because it was tied into a possible 300 i'll go back to you mike bond um did you hear anything about this and why that i, I thought that was in other words plan d e or f like if we can't do anything fine we'll give him leon and bolal but even that didn't happen and, and there's even rumors that bolal might not what might not have been one of the three who would have been considered. Yeah, I think uh, Leon versus Blaw was like plan Z. Like that was like literally the last wow. resort, the last <laughs> possible option for them. Uh, they know that the fans didn't want that fight. I mean, Blaw Muhammad is a deserving contender. He deserves a shot, but you couldn't put him in the main event of UFC 300. Uh, the backlash would have been absurd. The fans would have been very pissed off. So they ultimately chose to pull the plug on that. Um, you know, you can say that's right or wrong, but it is what it is. Bilal Muhammad is very polarizing, and that's why they went to seemingly Hamzat Chemaev, um, maybe Shavkat. Like, I don't know exactly who all three of those options were. The way Dana said it at first, where he's like, we offered him the first one, which I felt like was Bilal, but maybe for like a co-main event. And he said yes, and they were like, ah, it didn't really work for us. But then I believe the Schmo reported that Bilal wasn't one of the three considered at all. So... I don't really know exactly what direction they went to. I feel I feel bad for the guy, but I do think now that this has seemingly kind of passed, we probably get him on UFC 302, UFC 303, whatever this rumored event is in the UK over the summer. I think we do get Bilal uh, versus Leon probably is the co-man for that card and Tom Aspinall defending his interim title in the main event. So it's going to work out fine in the end. Um it's just, yeah, like this, that was never truly an option for this card, in my opinion, unless it would have been like the second or third title fight on the card, then it would have been a little more palatable for the fans. The listeners are blowing up the chat. There's some good ones in here. So I'll read a few more and then we got to move on. Uh, Caleb. So listen, most of these are coming in through YouTube, but if you're watching on Facebook, I can see you. Caleb Valdez Torres says, love me some SVC junkie nation. Josh Wallace says, I mean, who cares about 300? Being this card uh, that is better than any card ever made, this year will be filled with amazing cards. That's true. We should be happy that these cards have been pretty great. Uh, maybe Toronto lacked a little bit, but um, these next few are, are, are pretty stacked. 
oatmeal two six says two ninety nine is greater than three hundred. Now you see, you see what you did there. You 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 went overboard. Ah, oh, oatmeal two six went a little bit too much. Two ninety nine is jacked pretty good, but three hundred man, you can't argue with it. Once you just get over the fact that the announcement was a letdown, but we got to move on. Uh, Ilya Tuporia defeated Alexander Volkanovsky at UC 298. Big right hand did most of the job with some follow-up strikes before the referee stepped in. And now we have a new champion. That's right. The longest-running champion is out. Volkanovsky was champion for over 1,500 days and some change. That's four years and some change, by the way. It's a long time. Great run, Volk. Let's talk about the new champ. He's 15-0 overall, 7-0 in the UFC. 13 of his 15 wins are finishes. On the road to the top, he submitted a top grappler in Bryce Mitchell. He also uh, held his own against Josh Emmett, and you saw what he did. And by that, I mean on the feet, and you saw what he did on Saturday to the great Alexander Volkanovsky. He's only 27 years old, guys. What's the future look like for the Matador? Can he do what Aldo and Volk did and hang on to that strap for a few years? Matt, how about you? What do you think? I think it's it's possible that he does go on this incredible run with the title, but it's it's going to depend on who he gets matched up with, you know, especially like right out of the gate. Um, you know, kind of like how Volk was saying during his post-fight uh, interview when he went to the back, you know, he doesn't expect Ilya to want to turn around as quickly as he would he would have liked. So that that leaves the door like kind of wide open for, you know, what's going to happen with his matchup to defend his title first if that ends up being the case. Um Let's let's say like, you know, if Max Holloway, you know, beats Justin Gaethje and then he decides, you know what, I'm gonna go back down and try to fight for my title again. I think that's an incredible stylistic matchup that, you know, would be hard to pick a winner on. So if something like that happens or if he gets the Volk rematch, you know, it's kind of hard to say how how his title run would start. But if he gets matched up with, you know, with a pro another prospect, another up and comer in the rankings, you know, like a Mozart Evulev or somebody like that, then you could say, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna stack some wins right out of the gate. But it, it all comes down to matchmaking. Um, I will say this though for Ilya right now, especially in this fight against Volk, he looks like he's got that championship aura about him, right? The way he was just kind of out there, very calm in the pocket, just slowly stalking Volk around the cage, waiting for his moment. It was a very poised performance that we saw out of him. That looks like you know a real championship caliber uh, talent, so it's, it's all going to come down to the match and matchmaking. But he is definitely somebody that's capable of holding on to that belt for a while. Just depends on you know how the UFC you know wants to roll it. Mm -hmm. All right, what are your thoughts, goes? Uh, like I say, only twenty seven years of age and pretty solid man. Those thirteen, like, he's got like eight KOs, five finishes, so he seems to get down everywhere. Yeah, I, I think he's poised to do something pretty great. You know, we all grew up on on combat sports and, and boxing, right? A lot of undefeated guys make it to their title shot. You'll see 25 and 0, 30 and 0. That doesn't always happen in mixed martial arts, right? So when you do have a guy with that O next to their name, it means a lot. It's a really big selling point for that fighter. And I think the UFC can really use that to their advantage. Uh, the countries that he's aligned with, passionate fans right and he could be leading a movement into those countries new territories that the ufc haven't been in i think the future looks really really bright for him i just don't know how the fans are going to really react to this guy um he fought volkanovsky and it's, it's kind of hard uh to not be the heel against him but he kind of embraced that heel a little bit and i'm wondering if he did too much damage there i don't know if the fans are gonna gravitate back to him 
I know they will in Spain. I know they will in Georgia, but I don't know what happens when he comes back to Vegas or what. But he is kind of a likable guy when you get him to chill out a little bit. Uh, I think he says good things. Um, as far as the run itself goes, like if you look at the people that are left in that division, these are guys that have – they're great fighters, and all of them have shots, obviously. But those fighters have seen better days. Uh, the one that I think really stands out is just if he fights Volkanovski again, right? What happens there? But for the most part, I think the blueprint is there, and I think uh, the odds are in his favor to go on a pretty good run. What do you think, Mike? Um, there's some killers at Featherweight, starting with Max himself, who I know is already scheduled to dance with the current BMF, Justin Gagey. But, man, there's there's some killers at 145. Can he go on this type of a run like Volk and Aldo? Ooh, if you if I had to pick right now, I would say no, and that's not because at specific to Ilya Teporia, it just feels like a sport as a whole thing right now. I mean, as we alluded to earlier, like Leon Edwards is now our longest reigning champion, and he's only had the belt about you know fifteen months or something like that, maybe a little longer. But yeah, like the title turnover is outrageous right now. So to predict anyone to go on like a five, six, seven defense run. Um, Part of me feels like those days are almost kind of over. I mean, you'll have the rare fighter who will come along, and maybe Ilya Teporia is that special, but I'm not fully sure yet. I mean, of course, everyone will say things in hindsight. They'll talk about the quick turnaround for Volkanovski, the 35 and over curse. Like, you kind of, I did pick Volkanovski to win this fight, but now that you look back on it, it does feel like there was a lot trending in the direction of him losing this one. And for Taporia, like he, yeah, he did beat Josh Emmett, but we haven't seen him fight a ton of elite featherweights at this point. Maybe this was just a great stylistic matchup for him. Uh, all those kind of things. I would be curious to see a Max Holloway fight, how that would go. Uh, but how is Max Holloway going to be, you know, physically after a fight with Justin Gaethje that could take something away from him that he might not ever get back. Uh, and then, you know, he comes back down and maybe he's a little bit easier pickings for Ilya Taporia at this point. So, it does feel like you know everything outside of that is there for him. He's got you know the undefeated record, the support of the countries that goes alluded to, uh, the confidence, the brashness, uh, a very fan friendly fighting style. So like it's all there. Um, it's just a question of can he continue to deliver the performances inside the cage? And if he keeps winning, yeah, he can definitely be one of the big stars in MMA. But the keeps winning is the most difficult and important part of all this. And he's got some tough fights ahead. So I'm excited to see what this reign looks like uh, having an undefeated champion. He's only the 11th male undefeated champion in UFC history. I think 14th overall, including the females. So we don't see this very often. And as we see him fight the uh, more difficult competition, the other top five names in this weight class, we'll have a little more answers. So I'm going to sit on this one for a little bit to see how it goes. But yeah, if you made me bet right now, I just don't think I'm putting uh, big odds on anyone going on a long title reign at this point in the UFC. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me go back to Matt here. What about Alex the Great? Okay, so there's a lot here. He has been active. He has been a company man. Usually we, we say someone that's defended five times deserves an immediate rematch. Um However, obviously, he's had a few KOs as of late. I don't want to just assume that the concussions came with him. Usually they do, but I, I, I didn't, you know, I'm not the, the, the uh, doctor that's overseen all that. Um, and at the same time, you know, we always talk about looking out for the fighter. Now, he says that he gets anxious when he doesn't have anything booked. 
He even says, I started drinking a little bit before the last one. I don't know how serious that was. So there's a lot here, man. So what would you do with a guy like Alex Volkanovsky? Do you reshuffle the deck, freshen everything up? I, I even said a few minutes ago that Holloway, who's kind of been a solid number two for years, he's already booked. Uh, what do we do here? I, I tell him to take a seat and take a break, hit that reset button, and then, you know, get ready for another run. But to come back quickly, like he is kind of already talking like he wants to do, like, no, that's going to be the worst case scenario for me, um, in my opinion. I mean, he's one in three in his last four fights. And yeah, those are two of those are up at lightweight against the same person, but the results are the results. And, you know, it's, it's kind of weird for his situation when it's like, okay, you deserve an immediate rematch because of what you've done at this weight class, but you've also lost three of your last four fights. So it's a weird situation. I would like to see him just kind of take a break, relax, um, you know, enjoy life for a little bit outside of camp. You know, try to find try to find something that is going to relax your mind aside from getting in the cage and, and scrapping with another, you know, one of the best fighters in the world. Um, I think just take a little time away, not necessarily a full year, but, you know, maybe a half year at least. <laughs> take a break and then uh, – get ready to go on another run because I think his talent is still there. Obviously um, my question is, you know, has that button been pressed though? Like, you know, we see fighters talk about that from time to time. Like once that button is pressed, like it's, it's easier to hit it again and again and again. So I don't want to see that happen to him. He's an incredible talent, man. And I think that he's still got a lot left in the tank, but just don't rush things. Matt, if he takes time away, does he still walk into an instant uh, rematch or, you know, into a title fight versus whoever's champ? It, it depends. It depends. Like if he does take time away um, and, you know, Ilya's booking fights and has the title defenses already. I don't know. It'd be kind of hard to see. It depends on the landscape at that point for me. Mm -hmm. All right. That's fair. Goes. What do we do with the former champ? I think he's got to take some rest, man. He's got to take a seat. But th this is serious. You know, two straight knockouts like that. And I know a lot of people and even himself kind of point to. That punch probably would have put out a lot of people. And that's true. It probably would have. But we have seen him take punches like that and respond. Uh, but when it comes off another KO, it's just a little different, man. Your brain just has to have some rest. And, you know, the pace that he's had, the wear and tear that he's had, it's not a bad thing. You know, just go back, relax a little bit. Because I actually do believe that even if he does take a break when he says he's ready to go, because of how popular he is, because of all the favors that he's done, I think maybe he could get that that shot. Let things play out. Let everybody else have some fun for a little bit and just get that needed rest. Mm -hmm. Mike, same thing? Unanimous? Give the guy some rest, maybe end of the year? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the play, of course. I mean, what, what else would the move be? Like, I don't think Ilya Tapuria, he's going to want to go on his championship tour. He's going to want to enjoy this moment, which Volk, you know, basically alluded to. And it depends, like... If they can get the Spain event done in you know July, I'm sure they'll go, and then they'll have to figure out the opponent for Taporia. And in that case, I'd be super uncomfortable. But if this is until October, November, something like that, I would be fine with Volk uh, taking that fight then. And yeah, I do feel he deserves the rematch. Um, like he's he's done enough. We've seen rematches happen for far far less than this. Uh, what he's done in this division, it's just obviously a weird time. I can't think of too many instances where someone has got a title shot off back-to-back -back knockout losses. Uh, we've had a few people who've got title shots off losses, off two losses, but uh, this would be a unique instance. But 
Volk likes to, you know, play this game at the highest level and roll the dice, right? Like I'm sure if he's going to lose again, he would rather it be to Ilya Tapuri again in a title fight rather than, you know, him fighting Mobstar Blyev or something, getting grinded out, losing like a decision or something. So he wants to play this game at the highest stakes. That makes sense to me. Um, it's very concerning for all the reasons these guys laid out, but uh, he's going to have to come back and fight at some point. But like all the things are trending against him, right? He's going to be older. That 35 and older curse isn't going to be going away. Uh, Tapuria, if you thought he was confident going into this first fight, imagine how confident he's going to be going into a rematch. So like this is the definition of an uphill climb for Volkanovski. But when they're going to book that next title fight, if it makes sense in a realistic timeline, that's the one you got to do. That's the biggest fight, in my opinion. Uh, if Yair Rodriguez goes out there and does something absurd this weekend against Brian Ortega and gets on that mic, like those two, him and Taporia have some genuine heat. Uh, you could make an argument that would be a bigger fight for Spain, considering like they you know, both speak the language. You throw them on some Spanish TV program, getting them talking crazy trash about something like that could be a big deal and a big way to sell this fight. But uh, in terms of like merit, all that stuff would make sense. Uh, I think it's, it's got to be bulk. He deserves his rematch. And if it goes badly for him again, so be it. But I think he'll be able to live with that at least. Great stuff, guys. All right, audience, as you can see, man, great show. You can count on it every Monday. We're only halfway through. You still got time to retweet, share this with your friends. You can see it on Facebook or YouTube. Send them to the site. They can just hit the links there. Again, every Monday, 60-minute show live. I'm going to take some questions and comments in just a second, so I'm letting you know that because you can participate. Look at the killers here. Mike Bond was their cage side. Goes, of course, he's been covering the sport for a long time. I think if you add up the experience between the three, there's like at least 40 years of knowledge of covering MMA. So share this show, please. Hit the like button. We're going to continue here. Bobby Knuckles, man, he must have drank some of that secret juice before the fight. He got the better of Paulo Costa after surviving a massive kick to the dome at the end of round one. Props to the former champion. He's now back in the win column. And you can't say he doesn't deserve, you can't say he doesn't have a formidable resume himself, I, I should say. But check it out. DDP has multiple title considerations floating out there. He's got heat with the former champ, Israel Adesanya. He's got an active and popular former champ in Sean Strickland. He's always ready. And Jared Cannon here, he's climbed himself back towards the top with some formidable wins. What do you do with the former champion, Robert Whitaker, in his next fight? Or... Did he do enough to warrant consideration of a title shot? Goes. Well, there's a lot of room to have fun here for Robert Whitaker. I think going into that fight, there were a lot of questions that needed to be answered, right? Uh, but, you know, the losses to Israel Adesanya, we understand that. The guy's top-notch. The one to DDP was the one that kind of shook us all up, right? Because it was so out of character for him to be dominated like that. Uh, so I think we needed to figure out, was that an isolated incident? Was it the beginning of, of a decline for Robert Whitaker? I don't know. This performance to me kind of says that maybe he did have an off night against DDP. And that's nothing against DDP. At the same time, I'm not going to say he beats DDP nine out of ten times the way he did. I think that's silly. That That's hard to say for just about anyone, though. What his performance did tell us is that he still belongs to be at the top. That was a great fight. Uh, the hunger, the passion in him has kind of been awoken. Like the things he was talking about, the way he was talking is a lot different than what the kind of chill Robert Whitaker that we've got in the last couple of years. Uh, moving forward, I think for me, what makes the most sense is probably Sean Strickland. I think that would be a good fight. I think it gives an opportunity as, as a UFC fan. Every time a pay-per-view is announced, we're just, we're almost kind of sitting back going, all right, what rematch are we about to watch? Right. Lots of rematches. This would kind of give an opportunity to get a fresh matchup at the top. 
Israel Adesanya and DDP match them up. And then maybe uh, if DDP wins that one, he can come back and look for uh, another rematch, maybe Whitaker, you know, but I think Whitaker might have to take one more. Uh, but I do think that he he did grow a lot with this fight. I think he proved a lot of things, not just to the fans, but to himself. Mike, you're next. Did you see a lot of uh, what goes is saying just a different Robert Whitaker, maybe a more professional Robert Whitaker versus the laid back gamer guy? Uh, I mean, this largely felt like the same Robert Whitaker to me, um, you know, credit to him from recovering from that kick and doing his thing. But yeah, like maybe he had a little more zest on you know, some of his attacks as he kind of alluded to pre-fight that he really wanted to go there and get his first finish since I believe April 2017 didn't happen. But uh, that's more of Paul Acosta also being incredibly durable along with Whitaker himself. So um, yeah, I thought it was like a good win, a good performance. He needed this. Uh, when you're kind of in a position like his, winning in itself is more important than the style and manner in which you win. He just needed to get that bounce back. And yeah, he's always going to be a contender. I mean, I think right now, if you're talking about like who is Drickus going to fight next, I think he's probably like third or maybe even fourth option at this point. But, you know, something happens. They need a main event for an Australia card and need to put a title fight in there. Maybe he gets the call or they have struggles negotiating with you know, someone else and he could be there. Like he's always going to be in a good position. So this was an important win for him in that sense. Um, I don't know if it convinces my mind that the Drickus fight was like some sort of anomaly or that he even wins a rematch. I do think the more we see, especially of Drickus, uh, that's like kind of a bad style matchup for Whitaker. So yeah, like he's, he's in a good spot. He'll always be there, get another win fight. Um, someone like Sean Strickland, maybe Brendan Allen, if he beats Marvin Vittori coming up here in a few weeks. There's still fights that exist for him. And as long as he keeps doing his thing, he'll he'll be in a good spot and he'll get good opportunities. He said at his post-fight press conference, he's been very happy with the type of matchups UFC has historically given him, the opportunities they've given him. I don't see that changing going forward. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Matt, I'm going to give you two. Uh Whitaker, title shot next. Probably not, it doesn't sound like. What do you do with him? And then transition into Costa. What do we do with him? Uh, he had a decent showing himself. Yeah, for Whitaker, I don't think it's a title shot. I, I think a, a fight against Sean Strickland makes the most sense. Um, just two guys at the top of the division. Strickland coming off the title loss. Whitaker, former champ. It just makes sense. It's a fresh matchup for me. Um, Costa, on the other hand, I mean, Jesus, the guy is so durable. He's always going to come out there and try to bang with anybody. I think a matchup against Brendan Allen would be great because Brendan Allen still needs that win over somebody. Yeah, he's got the fight against, you know, Vittori coming up, but Vittori's kind of been that guy that's been around the middle of the division for quite some time now. But I think you fight somebody like you get a win over Vittori and then you fight Costa, then you're really solidified among the elites in that division. So I think uh, Brendan Allen versus Costa would be a good matchup, um, one that would be incredibly entertaining. And it would be one that would also present Costa with some different different uh, stylistic matchups in terms of grappling and stuff like that. So that's something we haven't seen out of, really out of him in a while. I mean, yeah, we kind of saw him on the ground with, you know, with, uh, with uh, Luke Rockhold. But I think it would be a different, different style fight. You know, with this one, with, with Whitaker that we just saw, was there even a clinch at, at all through that fight? I don't think we saw one clinch, you know, sure. like certainly won the takedown attempt. It was a fierce striking battle from the beginning to end. I'm surprised that there wasn't a finish in that fight because those dudes were hitting. They were cracking for the whole 15 minutes. It was crazy. But uh, yeah, Joe, I like, I like Paulo Costa versus Brendan Allen. Yeah. And Josh Allen, sorry, Josh 
Wallace agrees with you. Costa versus Allen is great, he says. Cayman Ryder says, uh, I didn't think Costa looked bad. I didn't think so either. But uh, Whitaker really, really just came after him. What about uh, Costa versus Hamzat for the Saudi Arabia main event? That's there you there go. go. Those two have paired up. They've been paired up a few times, so I definitely wouldn't mind seeing that one. Sky Visa and El Daddy says, Costa has definitely improved. Good kick game. Joseph Boza, though, says Costa should just go up to 205 pounds. Um, Mike, what was it like from the time that he kicked them, wobbled them, the round ended, and you know how the fans go nuts in between uh, as they're walking back to the corner? Was that a pretty loud arena at that time? Yeah, definitely. They were uh, big on that moment. I mean, I'm sure they thought maybe they were getting a spectacular highlight reel finish, and it was crazy, too, because um, as you know, Costa entered the cage first because he walked out first. And while Whitaker was walking out, he was practicing that wheel kick against like the fence wall. And then he goes oh, wow. out there and lands it right at the end of the first round. If he'd got the finish there, that would have been pretty remarkable. But yeah, he had, I don't think he lost a lot of stock in this one uh, for mm-hmm. him. Like, I don't know how many people are out here thinking Paulo Costa is going to be UFC middleweight champion anyways. He's just like a, a fun, entertaining uh, unique personality who's also like up there in terms of being one of the better ones but hasn't really proven himself to be you know that championship caliber i mean the guy all respect to him doesn't even have a, a win against a current ufc fighter right now in his resume so like there is some flaw there but hmm. he's clearly got a passionate fan base he gets a reaction out of people so uh, he's a benefit to this division and to the ufc and stuff and there's still some exciting fights for him going forward i don't think this drops the stock significantly in any way really Mike Conlon in the chat says Whitaker ate that spinning wheel heel. Excuse me. He still has a chin. Nutmeg Riot says that was the best Costa uh, ever looked, in his opinion. James Staley says Costa whoops Hamzat, but then he tells us later on, I can't stand Hamzat. All right, all right. Bring the passion, guys. Comments, questions. The, the better they are, the more likely they are to be included. We have to move on, though. Let's talk about the machine. Murad really. Might have made the biggest overall splash this past week. I'm talking about from, like, Monday to Saturday night. This guy was all over embedded. The fans were digging it. Um, Look, okay, Taporia took home the gold, so he had the biggest overall splash, right? His life completely changed. But Marat, man, he's getting huge cheers. He's got the country that supports him, Georgia, where he's from. America's taking him in. I think he's got a home in New York and in Las Vegas. He certainly has fans in the United States. But the Mexicans even pop for the guy. So who knows Mexican-American? But yet, they were all over Duvalishini. His streak's now at 10, by the way. And he's beaten that former champ, Fajudo. Says he can even be the backup in Miami on March 9th. Can you think of any reason why he's not next? The UFC be the UFC from time to time. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, if you're asking me that question, is there any reason why he wouldn't be next or they wouldn't want to give him that shot? It's maybe just because they want to, if Sean O'Malley wins at UFC 299, maybe they just want to milk some more out of his title reign by giving him probably what's the, not giving him rather, what would be the worst stylistic matchup entirely possible for him in the bantamweight division in Marab. So that's the only thing I could really see. But um, as valuable as... Sean O'Malley is to the UFC as champion. There's value in Marab as well. Like I think if things continue to trend this direction, we could see an event in Georgia at some point. And um, he would obviously be kind of leading the charge there. You got you know, Taporia, Giga Chikadze, things like that. So he's got his value as well. He's got the personality. I mean, people seem to forget that 
Rob didn't fight since March of last year coming into the sport. Yeah. He had the long layoff, had the hand injury. And what a great job he's done of keeping himself in headlines, keeping himself relevant all through that time off. It didn't feel like we haven't seen him in nearly a year coming in. And then he goes in there and does what he did to Henry Cejudo, taking him down five times, uh, carrying him across the cage, talking to Zuck cage side like he this guy knows what he's doing in terms of you know selling a fight and making himself interesting so he's checked that box and then when he goes in the cage i mean have you seen a more relentless fighter like his his cardio is absolutely insane um you might be able to clip him and finish him in the first round that seems like your best bet but god forbid you have to go into that second third fourth fifth rounds with him it doesn't seem like there's really anyone out there who's able to keep up with the pace and the output that he has. So he's a problem for anyone. Uh, he's got to deserve or get the shot. 10 wins in a row in the UFC, nine straight at bantamweight. Uh, there is a very small portion of fighters in UFC history, maybe just one or two, can't remember the names off the top of my head, who've had a 10-fight streak and haven't either got an undisputed title shot or at minimum an interim title fight. So all the precedent is there. The three wins he's had in a row right now, um, just absolutely spectacular. I mean, not many people. He's like doing all the hard work at Bantamweight right now, and then I think he deserves a shot. So we'll see how this plays out. I don't care if Sean O'Malley versus Cheeto Barra is the most controversial decision, robbery, uh, poor stoppage, whatever you want to call it. Marab needs to be fighting whoever the belt holder is coming out of that fight, no matter how it goes. So it's time for him to get a shot, and I hope we get it sooner than later. Matt Wells, what are your thoughts here? I don't disagree with Mike Vaughn at all. He's spot on. But the UFC just trips us out. Bilal Muhammad also has an impressive streak. And he's not even one of, allegedly, one of the three names that were tossed Leon Edwards' way. Sean O'Malley did talk himself. He talked the UFC into having Vera being an opponent because he had some heat and maybe carries a little weight. Who knows? If this thing goes 1-1, you know, I don't know, man. Uh... Back in Ecuador, would that be big? In Vegas, would it be big? I don't want the machine to get screwed either. But what do you think? Is it is it his? It has to be his. It has to be his. He's he's undeniable at this point for a title shot. The man has beaten three former champions in a row. Uh, he carried a former two-division champ around the cage like he was a sack of potatoes and was laughing at people cage side. He had Zuck's wife fist pump in. Last time we saw her cage side, she was fearing for her life and what was happening like <laughs> the dude has done some amazing things and he's also in the same process he's made you forget that he doesn't finish fights he's he has one finish in 10 wins in the ufc holy cow you say that about anybody else you'd be like oh he's the decision machine like no he's so entertaining that you completely forget about that because he out he goes out there and makes it fun he makes it entertaining um the guy's undeniable at this point. I don't care what happens between Sean and Cheeto. They they're gonna they're gonna have to run their trilogy another point if if you know if Cheeto wins that fight. Um, Rob has done way too much. <clears throat> he's been he's sat on the sidelines really. You know if if Aljo wasn't there, he probably would have been had his title shot. Who knows? But uh, Rob has done incredible things inside that octagon, man. And it it would be a crime. It would be a, it would be a little crime if he does not get a title shot next for his next fight. He has done a lot of incredible things inside the octagon, including stealing the champ's jacket and then wearing it uh, and sitting on <laughs> on top. I still remember that stunt. Uh, El Gato Loco says, what about Corey Sanhagen goes? So answer that, you know, and, and toss that in. Could, could Corey Sanhagen run interference on Ryan? I mean, 
Look, I think anything is is possible. You know, the UFC does make brash decisions, but is it the right thing to do? I don't think so, man. I think it's just very clear cut. This should be Marab's shot. But there are things that happen. You know, there are injuries. And, you know, these two guys said a close fight in, in, in the in the Cheeto Vera fight. I you just never know with the UFC, man. They're so weird. And and I want to kind of figure out. I feel like Marab has turned a corner a little bit with Dana White because, you know, his stance of not wanting to fight Aljamain Sterling is not one that the UFC really appreciates. And usually they hold on to those things. But I think Marab has just been so charismatic and just such a good fighter that I think maybe he's been able to get out of those murky waters a little bit with the UFC. But you just look at like some of the guys they brought up, like Bilal Muhammad, right? Uh, he's in no man's land. But Neil Darius tried to play this game, and it took him forever. He never got his shot. Uh, with Mrav Davalashvili, though, I just feel like we have something different. I think it would be an absolute tragedy if we missed out on him being able to fight for that shot. And I do feel, I think I saw it in the chat, somebody said, like, he could be even bigger. And I, I do agree with that. I think he could grow to be a very big superstar for the UFC if they just put a little bit behind them. And I'll tell you guys something. No matter who is in that fight against Marab Devalishvili, I think I'd probably take him. I think I'd probably take him in that fight. But Corey Sanhagen, I, I think he'll get his shot eventually. I just don't think it'll be next. All right. Fair enough. We're running short on time, but I do have a follow-up. So this is just for Mike because he was there. He might have some inside. Uh, let's talk about Cejudo real quick. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't see a Cejudo that was done. Like he won round one, and then the other rounds, even when he got taken down, he'd find ways to pop up. Like the machine is the machine. He's tough to fight, right? Because that guy's not going to run out of cardio. This guy's got a winning mentality. He says, if I'm not fighting at the top uh, or fighting for the title, I, I just want to be out. But again, I, I still see a top five, top seven bantamweight here, man. What's the update on that, and what do you think is going to happen next with Triple C? I think he's going to retire again. Um, he said he was 100% going to do it if he lost this fight. Um, the performance, yeah, he did have some good moments in there, but it, uh, like I think three years ago, Henry Cejudo wins this fight against Marab. Like in this scenario, the way it played out, you get an extra two rounds. Like I think that's his fight, and um, you know he's like 37 years old now, and he's been through a lot. Um, I don't know if the comments Sean O'Malley made on his broadcast about him being injured throughout camp are accurate or not. We'll have to hear from Henry, but if it is, I don't think that like affects my view of the performance. I think that just goes to show this is the guy who has 20 plus years of combat sports mileage on his body, and that isn't going to get better for him going forward if he continues to go through more camps and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, like the big question is how big of a mistake did Henry Cejudo make retiring when he did the first time around? Because it seems like for all the things he tried to gain by doing that, more leverage, bigger paydays and stuff, not a ton of that came his way. And now he's come back and is 0-2 since his return. And I think it kind of views or affects the outlook on his legacy at this point. Like, yeah, no one's ever going to be able to take away the fact that he's one of four simultaneous undisputed UFC champions in history. But to me, he's probably like number four out of four there in terms of like where you would rank them on the pecking order. So, yeah, like he, he left a lot on the table here and... You know, you saw Dana White's attitude towards him at the press conference. Like, he didn't want to give him that retirement moment. But I was cage side there. Henry was waiting all through Marab's, like, five-minute post-fight interview. He mm. wanted the mic. His gloves were off. He walked past us on press row with the gloves off. And then he was going to come to the press conference. 
then he wasn't, then he was, then he wasn't, obviously didn't show up at the end of the night. So we don't know exactly where he stands. Uh, I suspect we'll see a video on his YouTube channel sometime here in short order where maybe he clarifies this. And, you know, lucky for him, he does have that kind of analyst uh, role carved out for himself and doing some good stuff there. But yeah, I do think this is the end. And it's unfortunate because it does feel like as great as his career was and has been, he could have done more if he didn't retire when he did. Okay. I'm in South America, so I did not know that. I'm not I think I'm watching some ESPN plus, but they went to the host that they had here. But I did not know he was there for all five minutes while they talked to Marab. I guess it's clear that that's what exactly wanted what he wanted to do. Yeah, and that's why you tune in the spinning back so. click because we got all the people junkies at every show, folks. Hit the like button for us, won't you? And have you noticed? Have you guys noticed some pretty cool b-roll that you're not gonna see anywhere else? <laughs> you know you know what i'm saying anyway on saturday we have a solid card between pfl champs and bellator card uh champs excuse me though it did start off for pfl champs versus four bellator champs not in title fights but still the champs are going to collide right they're down to two but aside from that there's some uh great fighters that are going to be, be competing on the first major pfl card of the year down in riyadh saudi arabia there inevitably will be scoreboard on the line but who really has the edge overall up and down the card? And which promotion will be getting their flowers from us on next week's SVC? Matt, start off. It's going to be tough, man. I think it's going to be very close to 50-50. But if I had to give an edge, I would I would lean Bellator. I think, you know, you look at guys like Johnny Eblen, Vadim Nimkov, you know, AJ McKee even, you know, further down the card, Aaron Pico. I think those are all the guys that are going to pick up wins. But I think this card's going to be incredibly entertaining top to bottom. I think there will be close fights. We have, you know, uh, Biagio Ali Walsh in his first pro fight. That's going to be interesting to see. Clarissa Shields coming back. You know, we'll see if she's made some improvements in her grappling game. There's a lot of little lot of little nuggets throughout the top and bottom of this card. But, you know, when you talk about the top, very top, the title fights, I think the closest fight for me and for my money will be that main event between Hinton uh, Ferreira and Ryan Bader. Um, but I, I still kind of want to lean Bader on that one, you know, but we'll see how it plays out. I think there's going to be it's going to be an incredible card. And I think uh, Bellator will take it. But don't be surprised if PFL pulls off some some uh, big wins here. Goes up by you. Who do you lean towards? Well, I think after the shakeups, I think that pushed me even more to the Bellator side. I don't have my broom out. I don't think it's going to be a sweep or anything like that. But if you look at it overall, like. You know, heavyweights are kind of hard to break down because you can be on the right side of your analysis, but all it takes is one major shot, and that just changes the fight. So I think they have a very good shot there. Uh, Johnny Eblen, you know, that guy, he was already good. He improves with every fight. So I feel like that might be another win for Bellator. You look at Ray Cooper, right? He's stepping in. Uh, that That's kind of already a disadvantage. Uh, uh, Jackson's just kind of a smart fighter. I think he's going to find a way to win that one. Bruno Vadim is kind of a coin flip. Um, the Santos Romero fight, I, that one doesn't really feel like it's that big of a PFL versus Bellator, but that just comes down to who wants to show up that night, right? Sometimes we don't get the best version of those two, but the kind of like, uh, I don't know, people's main event, I would say is probably Collard and McKee. I think that one can go anyway. I think it comes down to who makes the adjustments in that fight. If AJ McKee uses his wrestling, I think we could be in for uh, another win for Bellator. But that can go anyway because Clay Collard is kind of hard to break, man. And uh, I I'm really, really looking forward to that fight. But I think overall, 
I'm probably going to give the edge to Bellator. Goes, are you missing a PFL glove in the back, by the way? I have one down here. It's one of the older ones. I need a newer one. Oh, just curious there. Okay. How about you, Mike? Is it unanimous? Bellator? No, no love for PFL? Uh, I got some love for PFL, but yeah, I do think there's some trickier matchups here. Um, it's kind of a weird card, right? Like they've lost a few of the title fights that they had originally planned. Um, these champion versus champion fights aren't even for a title and they're three rounds. So like there's just kind of some weird vibes. We're a few days out. They just announced, you know, pay-per-view price is going to be 50 bucks for this. I'm curious to see how that goes in terms of, um, you know, what type, how many people actually order that. Um but like it's a good card. There's some good fights. I don't need to reiterate everything goes said there. I think he broke down the matchups pretty well. And if you kind of had to do a count to count, I think Bellator definitely is probably going to come out of this with a bit of a leg up. And curious to see how like the PFL side, the Don Davises and stuff react to that. And just kind of where this goes from here, right? Like where are these winners going to go into the seasons? Um, are they going to keep them exclusive on pay-per-view? It does feel a little messy right now to kind of kick off this PFL Bellator era. So for them, I do hope it's a, a smooth show, an entertaining show. And we just get some good fights because uh, it does feel like this, this new era for them has been a little bit clunky. Uh, the fact that there's no you know, Cyborg versus Larissa Pacheco on this card does feel like a miss. Kayla Harrison would have been great if they could kept could have kept her around. So it, it doesn't feel like the absolute pinnacle, especially after we've lost a few fights of what they can offer, but hopefully it's kind of a, a good start to this. And that's all they can really hope for at this point. Cause I think they've done the best they could under the circumstances. Over here at MMA junkie, we're right down the middle. We're objective. We don't take sides, but guys, I got to disagree. I root for the underdog. When the pride guys came over, they thought they were going to whoop some ass. The UFC guys held their own. Strike Force at WEC, they felt the same and they produced champions. I'm rooting for the underdog. I think PFL is going to surprise us. They're either going to narrowly beat Bellator or things are going to be even, but it's not going to be a sweep. I, I think uh, PFL is going to hold their own. That's just my prediction. Guys, we're going to blast through these because I think they're interesting and we put the work in preparing for it. So even if we go a minute overtime, let's blast through these. The countries of Spain and Georgia had some big nights with the Poria and the Valishvili winning their respective fights. Additionally, the Poria is now an undisputed UFC champion. A month ago, South Africa had their first world champion. Owing that are coming, which country will next make the claim of having their first UFC undisputed uh, uh, champion? excluding Ecuador, because Vera's fighting next, so he's got too far of a head start. I'm not saying that he can't get it done. You guys know what I mean. Goes, you go first. I'm going to go with Iraq and Amir Al-Bazi. I think uh, he's a guy that I've been had my eyes on for a long time. I think eventually he, he might be able to get it done. All right. Mike, what do you think? I like Shavkat Rachmanov in Kazakhstan. I think that's probably the, the right move here. I think he's not far off for a title shot, one win, something like that. Um, I think that's probably a, a solid bet in terms of that one. Both of you guys think they can get it done in 2024, by the way? Or is it maybe early next year? I mean, Albaz is a tough one. It's, he had a pretty serious neck surgery, so it's, there's a chance he doesn't even fight again this year. Mm-hmm. All right. Matt Wells, how about you? I'm going to go with Armin Sarukian in Armenia. I think that would be a nice one for the lightweight division. Um, those matchups at the top, you know, who knows how they're going to play out over the year. So I think, you know, to answer your previous question, probably earlier next year sort of thing for him. And if anybody's wondering what fat boy in the top left thinks, I say Manon Ferrand for France. Notice how I said undisputed because much respect to the big man. Cyril Gon did get down, but he won the interim. 
undisputed. I think Manon Firon, man, she's a beast. I think she can get there uh, either end of this year or early next year. It's going to be a close one. Good one, guys. And just a quick plug for Vanderlei, the great axe murderer. He, um, at one point, almost seemed like he was iced out of the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose. Shout Pete out to Rose. Simon Simono for bringing that up to Dana White. He almost got Pete Rose. And Dana White just said, you know what? <laughs> I kind of forgot about it. So he's in. And guess what? He deserved to be in. And I think Pete Rose deserves to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. But I just want to know from you guys, what what are your guys – did you see what Vanderlei was just doing? What are your guys' uh, thoughts on uh, Vanderlei Silva? No, what, what's your highlight of Vanderlei Silva is my question. Uh, sorry. Goes. Good. You go first. Uh, it's got to be them Rampage fights, man. Like the nobody was doing that to Rampage at that time, you know. And for him to be able to finish him in that way, his his presence and his aura is just something that I think will will be unmatched. Mm-hmm. Mike, you were supposed to go first, so goes might have snagged yours. <laughs> yeah, Rampage flying through the ropes. That that one's hard to top, but he, he had a lot of highlights. Which which other ones stood for you? Uh, him versus Chael Sonnen in the uh, tough gym was definitely no. I'm kidding. Um, no, the, I mean the the rampage fights, all the pride highlights, just unbelievable stuff. That's like you know some of my foundational memories of getting into the sport. Things that turned me you know into a serious fan, and then eventually wanting to be in the media. So yeah, those are fond nostalgic memories, and we'll never get sick of watching Wandy Pride FC highlights. Matt Wells, this guy went 18 wins or sorry, 18 fights without a loss from 2000 to 2004, had like three title defenses, a lot of non-title fights. He mixed it up with heavyweights, future middleweights, light heavyweights, man. I mean, this guy did a lot, but what, what, which one stood out for you? I mean, it kind of like all of them during his prime. I mean, just the way his, his entire aura, the way he had approached fights, just this ruthless aggression, sort of like fearless, like I'm gonna just charge at you, swinging hooks. Like I don't care if you clip me on the chin, I'm still coming forward. And you know, you also got to give him credit for having everybody in the world practice this at least once mm-hmm. or twice. You know, mm-hmm. and Epic. Sam Thorne, an epic walkout song, man. I, I hope someone brings it back with his permission. Him and Brian Stan had a great one. I think it was in Japan. Uh, but yeah, you guys pretty much took the better one. So great job, guys. You guys were an outstanding panel. Maybe my favorite one to date. Just don't tell the other guys. I said that. And of course, we'll be back next Monday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We'll talk about all the latest big stories in mixed martial arts. And we'll obviously go over all the action from this weekend, including the PFL Bellator card that we just discussed. Don't forget to tell a friend about this. If you missed any of it, the replay will be up immediately. And on the way out, if you liked what you heard, hit that like button for us. We would gladly thank you. Go out and be a champion. We'll talk to you soon.